Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is Mailbag Friday, the return of the people's holiday. We'll get to your mailbag questions in what will be probably a little bit of a briefer podcast today as uh no guest in the lead-in is just strictly a mailback friday show and i am uh traveling so uh coming at you live from a hotel room um so that's nice so getting it uh right we're recording this right before Ole miss has its first pitch against ucf on the friday game so coming at you a little bit later today but we will uh hit all the mailbag questions as promised every week and then we will uh, get out of here, and uh, hopefully this kickstarts your weekend. So before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. March Madness, right around the corner. This is March, according to John Rothstein. March Madness is already here. You're not going to want to miss Skybox's conference tournament and NCAA tournament package right now on the site. If you go buy it and use the promo code MADNESS, you will get 25% off. Any other purchase, use the promo code RIPPY, you'll get 20% off. These guys have absolutely destroyed it in college basketball this year. Entering the last three weeks of February, they were up 69 units year to date in college ba- or year to date in college basketball on five unit plays or larger, and in total they're up 73 and a half units year to date, and have only exceeded that in February. So you need to check these guys out. You don't want to be the guy that loses his ass the first day of March Madness, and he's got nothing to do for the rest of what is con- could be argued as the greatest week, two weeks in. Uh, in sports so you're going to want to make sure you're profiting how great would the end of a thursday or friday be of that round of 64 if you got a little extra money in your pocket skybox will put a lot of money in your pocket and they'll do it more consistently than your own brain they are the professionals they do it based off models and algorithms not some lean five minutes before tip off like uh the rest of us are uh, probably pretty keen to do you need to check them out skyboxsportspicks.com the nascar package is heating up they crushed it opening weekend at the Daytona 500 and continue to keep it rolling. Be sure to check those out before they go behind a paywall. And then when they do, you need to go ahead and buy the NASCAR package. You'll get the futures for free. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. For uh, any sport, though, they're going to have a package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, season-long. Maybe you just want to try them out all sports during March Madness. Try them for a week. You can even do a daily pass. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E, and you'll get 20% off, and that'll let them know we sent you as well. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue, the greatest butcher shop in the world, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. Right now, if you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week, plus 
discounted meats. Right now, it is a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just roll into LB's, show Greg or anyone working in their proof of subscription, and they'll get you set up with the Rippy Right special. After you get that, go find your own favorites. There's all kinds of different cuts there. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. I love the uh, crab stuffed mushrooms. I like the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausages in there, different cuts of meat. You do want to go check them out, LB's University Avenue. Soon to be having a, soon to open, I can't talk today, good Lord. Soon opening a second location there in Gluckstadt, serving the uh, Jackson Metro in Central Mississippi area. So be on the lookout for that as uh, Greg takes over the butcher shop industry uh, starting with Central Mississippi. So check him out, LB's University Avenue. Uh, happy to have Greg as always, as a longtime sponsor of the show. And he will be on to do some horse racing in March Madness next week. So how about that? Anyway, check him out. All right, let's just get right into it. We'll get to your mailbag questions. Like I said, we'll probably be a little bit of a briefer show today um, as I am on the road and we didn't do an interview before. And Colin and I did the baseball preview on Thursday. So we'll get to your mailbag questions and then uh, get out of here. Appreciate everyone's responses. Got some via email, bunch on Twitter couple of DM questions and uh, we'll just roll through them. Leadoff hitter, Paul Mahan, checking in here. He asks, what would your walkout song be if you could pick one from music from, wait, I don't understand. You could only pick one from music or movie or TV show. I think that's what you're asking. I don't really understand the question. What would my walkout song be? Oh, if you could only pick music from a movie or a TV show. I don't know. I could give you the uh, Blades of Glory answers. My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. We'll skate to one song and one song only. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't uh, – I don't have a great answer for this one. Um, I don't know. That Kanye West song where Alan and the dudes in The Hangover are all walking out about to go do whatever debauchery they were going to do and then wake up the next morning and regret it, that's a pretty cool song. I don't know if that counts as a walkout song. Um if we're not doing movies or whatever, I think Hell's Bells would be a cool one. I always like the closer walkout songs more than the batters. So, like, the the famous Trevor – like, Trevor Hoffman did Hell's Bells. Um, you know, a couple closers have done the Johnny Cash thing. Uh, Mariano Rivera did Inner Sandman. If you're talking about walkout songs, I think the most underrated walkout songs in baseball are the famous closers. I think those are much more uh, – unique and cooler than, uh, you know, just your average generic country music song from the second basement of the tanking Texas Rangers. So anyway, I don't think I have a great answer for you there, but uh, I tried. Mr. Bradshaw checks in on Twitter. Would you rather have TJ McCants jammies to sleep in or Kevin Graham? I'm not a big pajama guy, but if you want to turn this into a serious question and, and uh, if you're asking me who I'd rather have as a hitter, that's splitting hairs as well. Um, as much as Kevin Grant has been incredible this year, all TJ McCants has done since he stepped on campus is hit. So I'll go TJ McCants, Jamie's. Um, is that a real world? I thought they were pajamas. It's, it, it, I know you're, you're from the Delta. You've been checking into the show for a while. You're from the Delta, I think. Is that a Delta term? Is Jamie's? I've never, and I won't say I've never heard that, but pajamas, Jamie's, I don't know. People are confusing me on the show early. Here we go. Weird internet names coming at me coming at us on Twitter here with a batting lineup as deep as Ole Miss has how long does fives allow someone to slump at the plate for example if Chatagnier goes into a slump does five put the lineup he did in Tuesday out there with bench at second so not a bad question here at all so what you're asking is 
is how old miss with how old deep old miss is uh pretty much i mean you could say one through 11 one through 12 depending on how you want to categorize calvin harris with hayden dunhurst reinsertion into the lineup as i record this mike released his lineup for the friday game against ucf about 30 minutes ago and hayden dunhurst was back in the lineup uh after missing uh, about a week and a half of the hamstring injury so depending on how you want to categorize this Ole Miss is 12 deep, and problem is you only get nine slots to hit. You get eight position players in a DH, right? So what you're asking is, is how long Bianco allows a player to slump before he throws someone else in there? I don't look at it like that. And they, I guess the answer is um, pretty, uh, pretty long or really not at all. Like, I don't think that's how he's going to think about this in this sense. And I'll give it to you from this standpoint. So you have seven positions set, right? We'll go through it. You have – Chatagnier set at second base. Jacob Gonzalez is your shortstop. You have Tim Elko as your first baseman. Hayden Dunhurst is going to be your catcher. TJ McCants is going to play in the outfield, probably center field. And Kevin Graham is going to play left field. And Justin Bench is going to be somewhere, whether that is center field with McCants moving to right or third base. For the sake of this exercise, we are just going to call it third base. There's only two spots. Right, that's your seven. And so now you have a right field opening and you have a DH opening. And so that's going to essentially be decided by the likes of Kemp Alderman, Hayden Leatherwood, Calvin Harris, Ben Van Cleve, and, you know, Reagan Burford, I guess. But the Burford was, makes it interesting because right when he plays the field, he plays third base. That slides bench into the outfield, McCanson to right. That gives you a better defensive outfield and a pretty potent lineup from a hitting standpoint if – Burford is hit, is, is hit well enough to justify playing him at third base. So I just outlined basically what we've talked about in this podcast for a month regarding this lineup, right? But I think those seven are set. And so you basically have a group of, as I just outlined, Leatherwood, Calvin Harris, Kemp Alderman, and Ben Van Cleve. And Reagan Burford, I, it's going to be interesting. I don't even really sure how he fits in this mix. But, hey, if, he, if he's, he, he's hit well enough to not be eliminated from this point. So I think Mike is going to look at it from this standpoint of how do I get those four guys into the last two spots? Or if you want to include Burford on this, we'll call it five guys for two and a half spots, right? Because when he comes in, bench is just going to go elsewhere. So it's not a one-for-one trade-off. That's how I think Mike's going to look at this lineup and kind of ride the hot hand. What I think ends up happening, unless Reagan Bur- – Reagan Burford is kind of the wild card in this because if he goes on a tear, that guy's a pretty – Decent, even though despite his slow start, I know he's had a tough start to the year defensively. A decent third, uh, SEC third baseman. I don't think what we've seen from him so far is indicative of, a, of his defensive prowess. So that's a different. That's a little bit of a uh, wild card there because that could actually not only shrink one spot by pushing bench into the outfield, but pretty much set your lineup other than the DH spot. But anyway, so I think that's that's how Mike's going to look at this. Is how I kind of rotate these four or five guys into these two, two, two and a half spots for the sake of uh, the metaphor, if that makes sense. Like clearly not playing a half position. I don't think that like Jacob Gonzalez, if he has you know an zero for nine weekend and then has a tough midweek series and has a stretch of like five six games where he's not hitting well, I don't think Jacob Gonzalez is getting taken out of the lineup. I just don't think he can ma- run a baseball team that way, particularly in a truncated college season where it's only a 56-game sample size. And now at this point, hell, I mean, we're about to get to – we're one weekend away from SEC play. So that's 30 SEC games plus I, – I guess that's 12 midweek games, 10 midweek games somewhere in there. So you're talking 40, 40, 41, 42 games left in the season. I don't think you can operate a baseball team that way. I don't think 
if Hayden Dunhurst has a tough week at the plate, you just start catching Calvin Harris. And then Hayden Dunhurst is now your second team catcher, you know, until proven otherwise. I think that will work to the detriment of pretty much everyone on the roster. I think Mike has seven guys that are proven commodities that barring something significant are going to stay in the lineup. And so I think it is going to be how he manages those four or five guys for those last two spots. I think with the right field and the DH in particular, he can afford to do what you're alluding to, kind of ride the hot hand and be a little more quick-triggered, have guys on shorter leashes when it comes to production at the plate. Because basically all those guys other than Van Cleef can play in the field. And so, you know, yes, like would it be better defensive outfield if Bench went to center or Burford went to third? And McCants was in right, yes. But aside from that, when you're talking about who's playing right field, who's playing DH, and, you know, maybe if you want to give Calvin Harris a look at first base and slide Elka to third, there's not a, a ton of defensive trade-off is what I'm getting at. So I think the way, like, looking at it through that lens, he can be a little more quick-triggered and plug guys in and out and ride the hot hand. But if you're doing that all across the diamond for just anyone that's slumping, I don't think that's a great way to manage a team. And I don't, I, there's no, Mike has no history of doing that either. Um, if anything, he has a history of sticking with guys too long. And so I don't think he's going to manage it like that, nor should he. And so my answer to I actually wrap that up into a very long winded answer is it would have to take something really significant. Like Chatagnier has started the year pretty slow, right? I think he's hitting like 240. Um, even though, I mean, even with that, he's doing a lot of the things that you want leadoff hitters to do. He's seeing a lot of pitches and having some tough at-bats. But, like, if Chatagnier, on top of him hitting 240 through these first eight games, goes, like, two for 30 over the next week and a half, then maybe you start looking at something. But, man, that's a two-and-a-half-year starter for you. Like, he, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. But, again, if he goes – three weeks in the SEC play and still is, you know, barely hitting his weight and has really struggled, then you might take a look at something. But it would take – it would take – like for those seven incumbent starters, it would take a sizable slump lasting three to four weeks, almost the better part of a month before I think Mike thought started to think about reevaluating things. So um, I don't think he'll do that. But that's a great question because it's something that Colin and I have discussed. I don't even know if we discussed it on the show off air through text a couple times. Um, throughout, like, how does Mike actually manage this? And I, I think the best way to do it is just stick with your seven known commodities and enjoy being the deepest team in the country. They are the deepest lineup in the country. Like, think about it. If you just play with the lineup they played with on Sunday, and I guess that would be Leatherwood and Wright and Otterman at DH, like, your first two options off the bench are Ben Van Cleve and Calvin Harris. Like, is there any other team in the country that has that? I would argue no, um, unless there's something I'm just missing. And Calvin Harris has hit to a point to where I'm not even sure how you can justify taking him out of the lineup. And it's funny because he's not in the lineup, I say today, on Friday against UCF. And Calvin Harris is hitting 600 through, through eight games. And so I think that just speaks to the depth of this lineup. And so you know, the odds of them remaining completely healthy throughout a 56-game season are not great either. You've already seen Dunhurst, you know, miss some time with a hamstring injury. And Calvin Harris, you know, pretty much – I don't want to say pretty much as seamlessly. It was almost an upgrade given – I mean, that's not fair. From a hitting standpoint, I don't think Dunhurst would have hit better in that stretch than Harris has. It's almost, it would be almost impossible to do so. So I think they should just enjoy being the deepest team in the country and enjoy that luxury and kind of rotate those last two uh, – Five guys for two spots, basically. Kenneth Collins 
checks in here on Twitter and asks, if you had to buy 100 shares of stock between Ole Miss baseball, basketball, and football, how many shares would each sport get? So it's just basic stock gain. You're asking me how much stock I'm putting into each sport right now. Well, with the, of these 100 shares of stocks, if, you know, if you're talking, it depends on how you view this, because if you're talking just straight success, then it's a little bit of a different conversation. I think baseball is the front runner with football behind it. But if you're talking in the general hierarchy of how these sports matter in college sports is what I probably think you mean, then clearly you're going to take 65, no less than 65 shares of that stock and throw it on football. Football's coming off a 10 and two year. They just murdered the transfer portal. They got a damn good replacement on paper for Matt Corral. We'll see that how that plays out with Jackson Dart, but he's a talented kid. He's mobile. They got him from USC only because literally probably one of the top three most talented quarterbacks in the sport decided to transfer from Oklahoma to USC. That's the only reason Jackson Dart wanted to leave USC after starting as a true freshman. And so I'm taking 65-70 of that and throwing it on football automatically. So that leaves me 30 to play with between basketball and baseball. And to be completely honest, until Kermit Davis proves two things – one, he's better at the evaluation process in general, particularly as it pertains to filling out his roster with high school kids. And two, is more aggressive in the portal. And by that, I mean taking fewer high school kids. I mean, that's, that's the problem with this team, right, as this Ole Miss basketball season will mercifully come to an end. And probably two games, right, you got Vanderbilt and then the Wednesday game in Tampa for the SEC basketball tournament. Maybe they win. Maybe they beat Missouri or whomever they're going to play in the first game in the SEC basketball tournament in Tampa, but that season is not lasting beyond three more games. And so that becomes the question because I do think Kermit Davis is going to get more time. Like he's going to have to be better in the portal. And I think he's going to have to be more portal heavy because the problem with the team this year is he took three high school kids that I think most other schools around the SEC and at high major level did not view as high major players. And then they had two major injuries, which when it comes to your top two scorers, like it did to Jarkel Joyner and Dacian Ruffin, and then Matthew Morrell had a couple of nicks and scrapes mixed in as well and missed a little bit of time. It's not going to be easy, but that's not something that should completely sink you. And it did because they have three guys that high school kids that they took instead of a Ty Ty Washington who ended up at Kentucky out of the transfer portal. They don't have any depth. Like you have three kids that can't play for you and can't contribute. And that's a problem. And that's a fireable offense to be completely honest. I think again, he gets more time, but until he proves that, I'm not going to put a ton of stock in it. So of those 30 shares left, I'm going to put 25 in, base, in baseball and five in football. Now, the other side of that coin is if I'm putting 25 in baseball, and I wrote about this a little bit in a newsletter that will come out probably early next week just because with the travel and everything, I didn't have time to get it out this week, which is regrettable, but whatever. Um, we talk about Keith Carter. Keith Carter got extended over – um, this week, right? It bumped his salary, rolled it back to four years. They bumped his salary to 1.1 million annually. He's done a great job. It's a no-brainer, right? He hired Lane Kiffin. He made a splash. That splash turned into on-field results. The non-revenue sports are doing well. Women's golf won a national title. Women's soccer is off of a Sweet 16 run two years ago, and they made the NCAA tournament again this year. Um, the softball team, after kind of cratering after the whole Mike Smith scandal air quotes if you want to call it that there's a lot I'm, I'm not defending Mike Smith by any means but the way that ended was questionable at best I will say but they're back they went to the NCAA tournament last year and played in a regional in Tucson so all around it is good to be Keith Carter right now but that could get a lot more complicated over the next nine months because starting with baseball 
I think we all know the deal here. It's Omaha or bust. And you're going, you know, like Mike, hate Mike, you know, envy Mike, indifferent about Mike Bianco, whatever. It is going to be difficult to replace a head coach that sat at this program for 22 years and re- and built the program into what it is today. He made Ole Miss baseball. I, I look, I've been pretty transparent on this podcast. Mike and I never really saw eye to eye. I think that was more of a one way beef, and it wasn't coming from my way. But hey, I you know the, the way our uh, I would say professional relationship went over the last couple of years. I would not be a, I'm not stump on the Mike Bianco Hill guy because I like him. I'll just put it to you that way. But he did build Ole Miss baseball from the ground up. Uh, he made this program into what it is. You look around at that stadium, you look around at the facilities, you look at around at all the luxury and an amenity seating from what that was in 2001 when he took over. He's done a remarkable job. But again, because of the circumstances, because of the LSU thing, because of only going to Omaha once in 22 years, I guess that would be if they did miss it this year. You know, he farted with the sitting SEC West job last year. He went and interviewed in person in Birmingham for the LSU job after his team came up one game short of Omaha for the second consecutive year, not counting the 2020 year because of COVID, and he has now gone to the College World Series once in 21 seasons. That's not a great look. So it is Omaha or bust, but it is going to be difficult to replace Mike Bianco. It is. He made Ole Miss baseball into what it is. And then it's kind of a make or break here later that fall into the winter with Kermit Davis. Kermit Davis either has to make the tournament next year or get damn close and look really good doing it if you don't make it to keep his job. And so that could become complicated because you know Keith Carter's got a pretty good track record on hire, Lane Kiffin being the line number one on that resume and the shiny prize. But it's just like anything else. The more swings you take, the lower the chances, the better chances are your batting average lower. The more bites at the apple, no, it's hard to maintain a high hit rate. And so he's going to have to hire potentially two coaches in two of the three major sports. And then what happens if Lane Kiffin goes 10 and two again and takes an NFL gig, then you might be hiring all three. So you know, Keith Carter's job is going to get a lot more difficult in the last, um, in the next 12 months potentially. But I think, you know, that's, these dudes in these positions are judged off their hires and they, they're judged all they na- off of how they navigate difficult situations. That's why they're paid the amount of money they're paid to do what they do. And I think you're going to figure out if you have a real leader or not. And I don't even mean to that in the sense that like jury's still out on Keith Carter. He's given no indication, you know, other than the fact that he's going to make sound rational decisions. I think Ole Miss has a good leader of the athletic department and Keith Carter, but you know, that said, I'd like to see, I'd be interesting to see him hit on baseball and basketball if he has to do that. So that was a long winded way. And I kind of got off a tangent there from the stock game, but that's how I'm doing it up. So I'll go, 75 or what did I do? 70, 25, and 5. Yeah, I'm just not putting a ton of stock in Ole Miss basketball right now, given the product that Kermit Davis has put on the floor. Appreciate your question there. Paul Mahan checking in again. This is a little one. This is this one's a little bit easier to understand. Traditional wings or boneless wings? Hmm. I like traditional wings better. So I don't really, I get that there's this hot, hot debate out there in the internet streets that boneless wings are just chicken tenders with sauce on them. And that's somehow like demeaning or you're like not a wing guy. If you prefer boneless wings, I don't really understand that. If it tastes good, eat it. That's pretty much my philosophy. So if you like boneless wings better and you like a chicken nut with sauce on it, chicken, that sounded weird. Chicken nugget with sauce on it, then just eat it. Like who cares? Like I don't understand the fact that like there's some qualification for it to become a wing. 
because I've had really terrible bone-in wings where I would have probably preferred boneless, but I'm somehow lesser because that's a chicken nugget. Don't really understand that one. Just like the hot dog is a sandwich thing. Don't really get that. Probably just eat it. But I'm going to go traditional, but I think they need to be good traditional. I use an Oxford example. I like Jinsei's wings. Weird to say that about a sushi place, right? But those of you that know that know, Jinsei has incredible wings. But there's a couple of like bars on the square that don't have very good wings. And so would I rather eat crappy bone-in ones or just go with the boneless? I'm going to go boneless. And I'll tell you my motto on that is if I'm going to like a place that I'm either not sure about or I know doesn't have great wings, I'm going to go boneless. But if I'm going to a place that has a decent reputation for pretty good bone-in wings, then I'll get the bone-in. So I don't like necessarily prefer bone-in, or excuse me, don't necessarily prefer boneless by any stretch. Um, I would probably actually lean the opposite. I would prefer traditional. But, you know, if they're going to be crappy, just give me the chicken nugget with sauce on it, if that makes sense. Like Buffalo Wild Wings, I think they have crap bone-in wings, so I'm going to get boneless wings there. But that doesn't mean I'm a boneless guy. I'm just going to you know, rather eat something that I think tastes good rather than something I think tastes terrible. So uh, that's pretty much my take on the wings. Try the cute, there's the, uh, the levy's not around anymore. Someone reminded me of that the other day and that made me feel old about being in, not being in college anymore. And then, you know, 20 minutes later after this discovery, I got a Snapchat of a spring party uh, from five years ago from Snapchat memories. Um, so that was also pretty depressing at the same time. So we're just having a great day over here in terms of feeling uh, oldish. But the Levy used to have Nukes Q wings that were to die for. That would be my one recommendation. If those are still around, I think it's called Tango's now. Hopefully they kept the Q wings. Try them there to die for. That is your Rippy Wright's wing tip of the day in Oxford, Mississippi. Checks in the mail. You can uh, pay me later. Evan O checking in. I don't have a question. I'm just letting you know that I listened to you guys during my vasectomy today. So thanks for the distraction recapping Ole Miss baseball. Thoughts and prayers, man. I'm sorry about your balls. Thank you for listening to us break down the ball game while that was going down in your own ball game. We have the greatest listeners in the world. But I, if I actually did provide a little bit of a distraction during the snip and talk process, I appreciate you listening. I'm glad we can provide that service for you. We are probably not going to delve into that market where we do podcasts centered around you know, getting dudes' minds off of the snip and talk down there. I'm not really sure how lucrative that market is or how mark it could be. We'll probably just stick to, you know, baseball, football, and then me rambling on Mailback Friday every now and again. But you did – I would be lying when I read this. I didn't think about it. Can we get into that vasectomy audio market? Who knows? Maybe it's an untapped market. But on a serious note, <laughs> I appreciate you listening. And uh, thoughts and prayers, my man. That's a tough one. I'm sorry. But uh, continue to listen – um, as it heals. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what the process is. Hopefully I'm a long way off on that. I don't know what the healing deal is. So uh, I'm going to stop talking now about that one. Thank you, Evano, for checking in and filling us in on that. Appreciate you. All right. Getting it back on the rails here a little bit. Kyle. <laughs> oh, that last one cracked me up. I really do appreciate uh, that. Maybe we can start a segment like, where do you listen from? I have gotten some weird DMs, not weird DMs. I've gotten some interesting ones through the years. We have a couple of dudes uh, that say they listen to us on the Iron Throne. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, a couple of people say they like listening, but when they go to sleep, some people listening out back, like on a Friday night, they got some brown water going. Um, where do you listen to the podcast? We'd like to know. Um, not particularly, but if you want to send in, we'll, uh, we'll consider that as a segment. All right, here we go. Sorry, Kyle Wilson checking in here. This is kind of an interesting question, but also a generic radio topic at the same time. A lot of people compare college teams to professional teams. 
like 2019 Alabama could beat the Detroit Lions. That's his words, by the way. This is the question. It wouldn't happen. I agree with you there. Do you think there is a college team that can consistently beat a pro team in any sport, basketball, and baseball? Consistently? Hell no. The answer is no. But the way you would, you would actually want to frame this question, if you, even, if you want to even have a sort of somewhat rational, non-first-take Stephen A. Smith hot-take conversation about this, the way you want to word this question is, could a college team do it? And my general answer to that is no. But I will say but, just to entertain the other side of the argument, because, hey, we're bored on a Friday here. If we were, if like, well, if that did happen or there was the best chance, what would the best opportunity look like? Well, one, football is out the door. Like, I don't really care what anyone says. I don't care how many first-round picks Alabama has had on a couple of their national title teams. I don't care how many first-round picks were scattered across the field in a couple of those Bama LSU games over the last decade. It is a different sport at the professional level. The Detroit Lions would absolutely destroy any version of any college team on any year, or the Cleveland Browns or anyone. It's just a different level of football. Think about the NFL. Half the league is undrafted. Half the league. Half of the league. Half of the contributors on a 53-man roster are undrafted. So you're, you're pulling from a much bigger talent pool versus a bunch of five stars that are probably, most of them, going to be pros one day. But when you talk to any sort of, like, athlete that's gone from college to the pro and you talk about like how much better the quality of football is at the professional level and look you guys have eyeballs I don't have to tell you that but also how much better they had to get just to compete at the professional level and you're talking four-star five-star guys like DK Metcalf AJ Brown in that sense the gap is tremendous so football for me is out of the question baseball I mean, it, should we even have the conversation? Like, I, I guess I was trying – if I was trying to make it – I sat down when I was reading this question, and I guess if I was, like, trying to make a case, like, if you got a Kumar Rocker or a Jack Leiter that went just lights out against a 110-loss Detroit Lions – I was about to say Detroit Lions. Pick it on Detroit today. Detroit Tigers team from a few years ago. Like, maybe does someone run into a fastball late on the college team? But I just – that doesn't seem rational. I think professional hitters would destroy college pitching uh, at any level. So I think that one's out. The one I will entertain is the college basketball team against an NBA team. And I think now that's completely gone by the wayside. But in the years where Kentucky was getting the one-and-dones every single year, maybe you make a case. And I know that sounds absurd, but the reason I say that, remember when Calipari, and it's changed now, and Calipari deserves credit for this, um, for kind of changing the way he recruits as college basketball adapted to it. But in those years where he was hoarding the one and done, 2015 Kentucky, nine players on this that team played in the NBA. They had Aaron, they had Carl Anthony Towns, they had Willie Cauley Stein. Trey Lyles, Tyler Ulis, Alex Poitras. Do you know who the sixth man was for part of the year on that Kentucky team? Devin Booker. So if you wanted to make a case and you take that team for that 14-15 Kentucky season and paired them up against one of those the process Sixers teams that were tanking on purpose, I still think they get beat by 15 nine times out of 10. But do they run one night? Do they get lucky and Booker just goes insane? I mean, you're talking about Carl Anthony Towns here with Devin Booker. Those are two of the top 25 players in the NBA right now on the same team, and one of them didn't even start. Could that be possible? Maybe just because you have 18- or 19-year-olds starting in the NBA. you got dudes going from high school straight to the association. And I'm not saying that means that the 
quality of competition has deteriorated. The skill level in the NBA is just patently absurd, to be honest. It may be at the highest it's ever been. But the the jump and the collective, like I guess the individual jump you'd have to take uh, when you're as talented as those guys might not be as high. So I'll maybe hear an argument for that. But generally, the answer to your question is no. And when you threw in the word consistently there, it is absolutely a no. There's just no way that would ever happen. Appreciate the question, though. Um, let's see, keeping it rolling here. A couple more before we get out of here today. When will the LBs and Glugstat open? Well, that's a practical question. You should contact Rippy Wright's customer support. We'll get IT on that. They'll get you an answer in two to five business days. No, I think it's opening in April, but I will check, uh, check with Greg on that one. Ski or silly man, chilly man checking in here on Twitter. Ski or snowboard? Um, neither. So I'd only been, I'd never been skiing before until my senior year of college. I went on one of those like cheap ski trips to where you can get a pretty good deal at like a nice place for a couple hundred bucks. Like it's definitely, if you're going to do the skiing thing, I know skiing can be expensive. This one was certainly worth it was the way I, I would describe it. And I had to go to ski school and I sucked. Like the pizza thing they teach you in ski school, total lie. Just a complete sham. It may work on those little bunny slopes, the green ones, but not when you start getting up to the blues. So I did greens for, I went to ski school. I was like 22. There's one other guy in there that was my age. And we're just getting skied circles around by these 12 year olds who definitely don't have driver's licenses yet. Not even sure they have cell phones and they're just dunking on us in ski school. So that was a great feeling. That was sort of emasculating. Then I do the bunny slopes for like three days. And honestly, I was, I was pretty good on the bunny slopes. I was like, I actually kind of have the hang of this. Try to blue the third day we were there. The second day fresh out of ski school was terrible. Ended up sliding on my ass down half the mountain. Thought I was going to die. Thought about kind of carving out an icy tomb. I thought for a second that might be the end of it. I thought that was it. I'm just going to die on the side of this mountain. I thought about spreading like that little jacket thing and the goggles and like carving in the sand. I was here. Please remember me nicely that type of deal, and ended up just skating down the side of the mountain on my butt. I was terrible at the blues. They say the second time you do it, you pick up more, um, and it's not as bad as you remember. Maybe that's the case, but your boy was not making it down some pretty basic blue slopes here, so I am not either. And then I was even more impressed by the snowboarders just ripping past me as I've got these two skis and these poles, and I can't get down the side of the mountain, and this dude's just you know, hammering grinders or whatever they call it off trees and stuff like that and doing all these tricks and I can't do anything. So my answer to that is neither. I've done skiing once, but I was terrible at it. If anybody has some uh, ski corner advice or ski uh, suggestions, please uh, send it in because uh, as far as I'm concerned, skiing is very hard and I suck at it. So uh, my answer to that is neither. All right, let's see. What is your golf handicap best score ever and at which course, Jonathan Stevens asked. Um, so my handicap is I haven't kept one accurately enough to say, so I'd probably be lying. I was a four when I left high school, and if I am completely honest with myself, now I am probably somewhere around a seven. Um, maybe I've been playing a lot more golf now that I've gotten out of media and, you know, have normal people schedule and like normal weekends off and you know, there's a lot of public golf in Dallas. I know I've talked about that on my podcast. It's one of the greatest public golf cities in the country. And it's been, uh, I didn't know that when I moved out there clearly, but it's when one of the, uh, the real joys of moving out here. So I've played a bunch of golf, but I can't honestly tell you I've gotten that better. So I'll, uh, I'll go with around a seven. And then my best score is I've shot even par three times. I've never shot under par, but I've shot even par three times. I guess that would be 72. Maybe I shot one of those on a par 71, but 
I've shot 72 three times and I've never been able to break par, which is uh, kind of tantalizing, but I'm going to get there one day. I need to start taking lessons again. Um, but yeah, so that's my golf score, best score ever. Which course I did at Country Club of Jackson, the course I grew up on a couple of times. I did um, university course I shot even on was one of them. And then there was some random course in Florida, which actually I can't even remember the name of that course. It was like one of those last minute deals. It was a Muni course that we played. It was not a plan. It was not like a planned part of our trip. It was one of those things we did later. So I actually can't even remember what the name of that course was. But I tried even there. What might have been the greatest round of my life because I'd never actually seen that course before. And just kind of one of those things where everything clicked and literally everything went in that day. So, um, yeah, if you're in the DFW area, want to play golf, holler at me. I know we got some DFW Rebels checking in on the show from time to time. But, uh, yeah, love the golf. Hopefully getting better. And we're going to break par one day. We're going to do it. Uh, we might do a, a beginner's golf advice on the pod one time we got a great feed. we got some great feedback to a mailbag question last summer about a guy who said he was playing like his second or third 18 holes ever like what the advice was to get through it around other people and i actually you know most of the stuff i blabber up here is really just nonsense but blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again and i gave the guy some pretty good advice it was basically something to the extent of have fun have a good attitude and be self-aware about how slow you're playing. Like, don't be the guy that goes and looks for 35 minutes for his pro V in the woods when he's going to drop and hit seven anyway. Like, be self-aware and have a good attitude about it and take the positive because this game's hard. I don't know if y'all saw that clip at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but you had John Rahm miss a 10-inch putt because he literally, like, stubbed a putt in the ground, fatted a putt, and then one of the world's best ball strikers who uh, topped it in the water. Was that Kepka that topped it in the water? I couldn't remember. Uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, we, that's a content idea I'd been kicking around. We might do that eventually. Uh, Red Brick Rebel doesn't have a question. He's following up on the boneless wings thing and says, Rippy strikes, Rippy seems like a chicken nugget with a seven-year-old salad dressing kind of guy. Up yours, pal. And the reason I say that is because <laughs> I deny it vehemently, but I have some friends who would say that is true. And if any of them are having the listening, they're actually probably laughing at this and being like, that's so true. And God forbid if my girlfriend reads that, she'll make fun of me to the end. So uh, come back with some more positive energy next week, Red Brick Rebel. My God, no one has time for this. Um, let's see. I'm going to make sure we get to them all today. Don't want to miss any going through. Got a couple. Oh, Caleb Saylor's checking in here. If this Ole Miss team doesn't make it to Omaha and Keith Carter gave you the authority to fire Mike Bianco, how would you do it? Oh my God, this is like a wet dream. Uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't answer this question. Um, if I could fire Mike Bianco, some people are out there maybe listening for the first time and they're like, why? I don't understand this question. This is one of the ones that's probably for longtime listeners where you have to understand the, uh, maybe the one-way petty wars Mike Bianco and I have shared through the years. I actually like Mike Bianco deep down. Uh, he may not feel the same about me, but I've always respected the guy deep down. Uh, the, despite him giving me three of the worst ass chewings I've ever received by any human being in my life. But anyway, how would you go about doing it? Hmm. I think I would make him come out to the mound at Swayze Field like he used to do to his pitchers and he would have to back off the top of the mound and I would stand on the top of the mound. So I felt taller, give him a taste of his own medicine. And then I might just give him the Donald Trump, you're fired. And then just walk off. I might waddle off like with my hands up against my hips, like he does and maybe give him like the PowerPoint, 
I'm trying to think of a more creative way to answer this. I really don't have one. I could go the Dave Portnoy route where I get the uh, the gold crested uh, bottle of champagne that just says you're fired Mike Bianco and I show it to him and then I pop it and then I drink it. Um, there's a couple of different ways I could go about it. I think I'm going to stick with the mound one. Um, I might dress up in umpire attire and maybe before the first game of a season, I take offset umpire attire as we do the umpire's home plate meeting. Like actually Mike, I am here sent by Keith Carter as a mercenary. I'm here to fire you. He might punch me if that happened. So I don't know about that one. That one seems dangerous. Yeah, I'm going to go with the mound one. I'm going to make him back off the top of the mound, and I'm just going to give him the Donald Trump, you're fired. Now you're getting me dreaming about this, which is a dangerous place to be. But I appreciate the question nonetheless. Jack Hansen checking in here, last but not least. Uh, who would win in a fight, a moose or a bear? So I have this thing at my day job where I have this theory that the animals are coming after us, animal Thunderdome style. Did you all see that bear going through homes? that just could not be stopped. They did a New York Times article on the other day. If a bear makes the New York Times, you know he's a big-time criminal. Uh, just could not be stopped. This bear was breaking into homes, was not deterred by pellet guns. It was just a disaster situation. So um, I have my coworkers aware at my day job of just how dire the situation could be if the animals pack together and decide to come for us. Um, but as it pertains to them turning on each other, moose versus bear, I'm going to go bear. Bear's got the razor sharp claws. I know moose ha moose are aggressive. I think, what's the plural moose? Is it meese? Moose? Mouse? I don't know. Uh, but I think a moose, uh, I'm going to go bear. Bear has the sharp claws. Moose has the, uh, I think moose is actually a little more aggressive and they have the antlers, but I'm going to go bear. Bear wins in a fight over a moose. Um, okay, let's see. Making sure we got to all of these I think that was all the questions we had on Mailbag Friday today. I don't want to make sure I miss any. Um, oh, we got one more, actually. Sorry. I See, I always miss one. Um, here we go. Chris Woodward asks, where is this? I lost this. I had it a second ago. Which unit has a better GPA, offense, defense, or special teams? I'm assuming you're talking about football. Oh, man, I don't know. I know Jackson Dart's a – like, if you're talking about next year, I know Jackson Dart's a really smart kid. A couple of those kids on the offensive line, they're all smart. I honestly – I don't know how to answer this. I'll go to the special teamers because they're the walk-ons. And I don't think they yeah. – <laughs> well, I'd say they're the walk-ons. That's actually not fair, too. That's not even true. I don't know how to answer that one. We'll go they all make 4.0s because that's how, uh, that's how we all know college football and college athletic works. So, anyway, this has been Mailbag Friday the people's holiday. I appreciate you guys tuning in a little bit of change of pace of a podcast for you here late on a Friday, but uh, if you made it to the end, I really appreciate it. Um, and thank, uh, thank you for making us a part of your day. Hopefully your weekend is already well underway. Got something cold in your hand, doing something you enjoy, but I, I really appreciate you making us a part of it. Colin and I will be back with our Sunday baseball extravaganza. I'll be back to a little more of a normal podcast schedule next week with a guest in between as we uh, get this thing rolling. I was reminded the other day, I'm going to write about this next week, I missed Rippy Wright's one-year anniversary, one little one over one year ago today. We started this whole thing that literally started from me making a SoundCloud account, applying for, uh, you know, to get on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and just really trying to fill some creative time that was already, that was leading to some bad habits. And uh, I didn't know where it was going to go. And, you know, now we're the, amount, the subscribers on the newsletter and us joining the Rebel Grove Network has been beyond my wildest dreams about what this could have ever become in a year. And so I don't really get too sentimental, wax poetic very often on this podcast, but that is because of you guys listening out there. And um, 
your support and it's been incredible. Uh, honestly, sitting here a year ago, I would have just thought this was going to be fun. I'm not even sure I still would have been doing it in a year and it's turned into something, like I said, I would just never be able to imagine. So I thank you guys sincerely for it. We got great things to come in the next year and uh, you guys have a great rest of your weekend and Colin and I will catch you on Sunday night.